Lately, I have gotten a little out of hand with the tiny sods, and they've been, well, not quite so tiny. But today, I am really going to keep it short so I can keep delivering weekly shows to you on time. But the problem for me is that when I get into something, I just keep digging deeper and deeper until I'm in a fact hole that I have to climb out of somehow with my terrible brains. So today, I have picked a topic designed to prevent that in this week's episode titled Humdrummery, the most boringest day ever. Tell me about the most boring day of your life. It's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Hell, it's even hard to answer what the most exciting day of your life is. I mean, before cell phones, I think that my boring days were far more plentiful. But nowadays, I can be entertained constantly thanks to the awesome efforts of bored nerds. Though this nerd has barely had a chance to get bored since I started this podcast. Because everything that I encounter now becomes a possible subject for analyzation. And the topic of boredom is no different. And in my hunt for something to talk about, I came across a bunch of articles about a scientist from Cambridge who designed a computer program named True Knowledge to calculate the most boring day on Earth since 1900 by employing algorithms to sort through hundreds of millions of facts about events, people, and places. And he believes the most boring day in modern history to be April 11th, 1954. Of course, it's impossible that nothing happens on any given day, but if you go online to find out about events that did occur on April 11th, 1954, you'll find that most sources list two events of note on that date. The birth of the Turkish scholar and engineer Abdullah Adalar and news regarding a general election in Belgium. Even the cover of the New York Times that day was boring. It was just a photograph of a couple of policemen who were attending a forum on the topic of juvenile delinquents. So I had to dick much, much deeper before I could find websites that mention anything else of note on that date. Like the death of the big band leader Paul Specht. Which seems weird, especially if it was a slow news day. Paul Specht led his first band in 1916 that toured the country during World War I before signing with Columbia Records in 1922 and touring England several times before eventually opening a school for jazz musicians in 1924. And his orchestra was the first to record for the RCA company and the first to film after silent movies ceased to be. He then went on to record as a radio band leader for ABC Radio in 1932 up until the 1940s, and he continued arranging music for radio and TV until his death on April 11th, 1954, the most boringest day ever. 
Now, April 11th hasn't universally been a boring date. April 11th was a super interesting day when Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1968 that prohibited housing discrimination. On April 11th, 1970, Apollo 13 was launched. And in 1976, the Apple I computer was launched. Not into space, but into our hearts. And April 11th gave us the singer Joss Stone in 1987 and took from us the Slaughterhouse Five novelist Kurt Vonnegut Jr. in 2007. It is much, much harder to determine the most exciting day in modern history, especially now when there is way more news and news. One great bit of irony is the fact that if we are taking interest in the most boringest day ever, then maybe it is a more interesting day than we are giving it credit for. I mean, just picture for one second turning on the news today and for 24 whole hours, nothing horrible happened, no breaking news, no Fox News alerts, nothing but fluff. I mean, I'm sure that they would create stories, as they have always done on slow days, by the way, because if it bleeds, it leads. But it sure would be nice to have a breather, wouldn't it? Just turn down the heat on the world for a minute? Now, in my efforts to try to avoid boring you, my amazing listeners, and thank you, by the way, for being with us these past two months, I have been dabbling lately with the idea of doing some interview shows from time to time here on Scattered Curiosities to talk to authorities on certain topics that we cover. But I've never interviewed anyone before. And I would hate to be a boring interviewer, but even more than that, I'd hate to ask boring questions that prompt curt, stagnant responses from the interviewee. Being a boring interviewer is almost good. You want the guest to shine. But sometimes, talking to an expert on solar panels doesn't induce the most appealing content for regular listeners. So... I found some sources online that give advice on how to make a boring topic more interesting. And here's what I found. No matter what the subject is, it is best to stay away from questions that only give you yes or no responses. Let's say the topic is drinking straws, and I'm talking to the head of a factory that makes them. My boring questions would be, so, Robert, your job is to ensure quality and safety at Slurp Sucker Straws? Uh, yes it is, Albert. And have there been any accidents since you've been in that position? Nothing more than what a Band-Aid couldn't handle, no. So there are accidents sometimes. Accidents do happen, yes. Huh. You get the idea here. I could talk to myself back and forth all day. In fact, I'm doing it right now in a way. Great, and now I'm rhyming. What I need to do is help Robert make straws fascinating to me and you by making them relatable. I mean, you've probably used straws at least a hundred times in your lifespan. Wouldn't you like to know where something that you've used since your childhood came from? <laughs> I'm such a nerd. So, I'm going to ask Robert... Who invented the straw, and, and what made them think of it? Well, Albert, 
Straws have been used by humans since as far back as the ancient Sumerians of Mesopotamia who would form straws from natural materials like rye grass, and that suited the needs of mankind for centuries, but made everything taste like grass. And things remained that way until 1888, when the modern straw was patented by Marvin Chester Stone, who worked at a paper cigarette holder factory in Washington, D.C., and he used the paper from the factory, wrapped it around a pencil, and covered it in wax to fix the grassy taste problem. And that's how we got straws. That's fascinating, Robert. Why do you think that people like using straws so much? Well, Albert, I'm sure that everyone has different reasons, such as not wanting to put their lips on a foreign glass in a restaurant, and it helps keep you from having to tilt your beverage, which sometimes can cause copious amounts of ice to crash into your face. I mean, can you picture a movie theater-sized soda without a straw? And... Straws also prevent the risk of spilling a potentially staining beverage on your highly stainable white pants. I myself actually drink my coffee through a straw in an effort to prevent my teeth from yellowing too much. A tip from my orthodontist. Even hot coffee? Even hot coffee. Huh, I never thought of that. Tell me. Are there up-seasons and down-seasons for the straw industry, or is it just year-round steady sales for you guys? Well, I wouldn't say that there's a time when our straw sales drop dramatically and people aren't using straws at all, but the summertime does see a slight uptick in sales for obvious reasons. And does your factory make crazy straws, bendy straws, straight straws, or all the above? We only make straight and bendy straws. Crazy straws are considered to be more of a toy. You see what I did there? Straws aren't so boring anymore, are they? Maybe I need to do a Scatter Curiosities episode about straws. Or did I just do that? The key is getting in those basic journalist 101 questions. Who, what, when, where, why? Other ways to inspire a line of questions is to use a search engine like Google. If you type in the word straw and look at the first six to ten drop-down search recommendations that pop up, you can find out what the world is asking the internet about straws. And if they want to know, that makes a good question. Here's what dropped down when I typed straws into a Google search engine. Straws, of course, drawing straws, straws and connectors, straws to pause, straws Walmart, and straws in Spanish. And I love that drawing straws was first. And for those of you that don't know what that is, drawing straws is a way for a group of people to decide who will perform a task that nobody has volunteered for. And the leader of the group will take a bunch of straws and make sure that one of them is particularly shorter than all the others. And he arranges the straws in his hand so that they all appear to be the same length. And everyone in the group picks a straw and the shortest straw loses. In the United Kingdom, 
this system of fate will be used in national elections if there is a tie after three recounts. Though sometimes they will also flip a coin or draw the high card from a deck of cards. And this happened as recently as May 5th, 2017 in Northumberland and also in Mississippi on November 20th, 2015. The next step in deborifying your topic is to find out if there are blogs or headlines about your subject. And when I did that with straws, I found the following. Our five-step guide to a plastic straw-free life. McDonald's just reinvented the straw. Straws are still a problem for marine life. And straws, thingies, and other mathematical sculptures. This is my life, folks. Now I have to go on all of these websites and read all of these articles because I'm invested. Will I ever be bored again? And it doesn't hurt to find out if there are other uses for your object in general. For instance, straws are also good for hulling strawberries, you know, taking out the green stems, vacuum sealing plastic baggies, keeping necklaces untangled by putting one end through there and then clasping it, getting floating cork pieces out of a bottle of wine, and straws just aren't for suckers, they make great cat toys too. Boredom has no universally accepted definition, but in general, it is considered to be an unpleasant mental state which can have serious physical consequences as well. And the first six known uses of the word boredom comes from Charles Dickens' 1852 novel, Bleak House. Yet the phrase, to be a bore, has been around since 1768. In general, there are three types of boredom. When we are kept from doing what we want to do, when we're forced to do what we don't want to do, or are unable to do anything for no particular reason whatsoever. Sometimes boredom can become a part of the learning environment when the student doesn't understand and isn't following the material. But boredom can conversely be induced if the subject is too easy and unchallenging for the student. Predictable activity is boring to people. But while we may find boredom to be an annoying phenomenon, it could very well be necessary to the evolution of mankind and the reason that we seek to challenge ourselves to be creative and invent new things, i.e., boredom might be a good thing. Boredom is also sometimes used as a tactic in office management when a company wants to fire somebody but they have no grounds for doing so. And what they'll do is they will transfer the employee in question to a different department, sometimes referred to as the banishment room or the boredom room or the chasing out room where the worker is given boring pointless and menial work until the employee just gets fed up and quits, freeing the company from having to pay out certain benefits. And should you ever find yourself banished to a boredom room, 
Stick It to the Man by popping on a full-length Scattered Curiosities episode and employ our methods for turning the most boringest day ever into just a pretty boring day. to help us keep the curiosities coming please rate us on itunes soundcloud or your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to visit scatteredcuriosities.com for exclusive free downloads and to donate to the show